On the Record with White House Correspondent April Ryan. Welcome to this latest edition of On the Record with April Ryan. I'm so pleased to have a CNN colleague with me and a friend, Tara Setmayer, Republican, um, who is just like me watching, analyzing, and reporting on all the twists and turns of this government shutdown uh, and how we're all walled off in President Trump versus Nancy Pelosi. Um, Tara, first of all, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, anytime, April. Thank you so much for having me. Well, Tara, um, you know, I watched you, and it was interesting. You are in the Nancy Pelosi camp being a Republican, you're in the Nancy Pelosi <laughs> camp of not allowing the president to li- to deliver the State of the Union address on January 29th. Why? Well, you know, I have to admit that I never in my life thought that I would be cheering Nancy Pelosi on as Speaker of the House as a lifelong Republican. But you know what? Um, sometimes politics goes out the window. Partisanship goes out the window. And you have to just look at a situation and say, what is right and what is wrong. And what Donald Trump is doing with this shutdown, holding Americans hostage, these federal workers, uh, federal contractors, we're talking 800,000 federal workers. You're into the millions when you're talking about contractors. These are real people who are not being paid, who cannot feed their families, pay their mortgages, pay their car payments, because Donald Trump is having a hissy fit over a policy issue. And Nancy Pelosi said, look, you, you do not get the benefit of coming to my house, because as Speaker of the House, she controls the House chamber. No, you don't get the chance to come and do this as long as the government is, is closed. So I don't blame her. She's 100% right. And in full disclosure, my family is affected by this. My husband is a federal law enforcement officer under the Department of Homeland Security, and he is being forced to work without pay going on a month now. So I I empathize with the people who are in this situation. And unlike the president of the United States, who doesn't have the capacity to empathize with anyone because he's a malignant narcissist, billionaire, who's never had to struggle a day in his life, um, Nancy Pelosi is actually saying, we are not going to move forward and reward you with this platform as long as the American people are hurting and the government is shut down. And she's right. So, okay, so uh, two things. So you're not alone. There are a lot of people out here whose spouses or both uh, both uh, the breadwinners in the home are affected um, by this. Uh, I talked to um, K. Cole James, the head of the Heritage Foundation, whose husband is a federal government employee. And her home is affected as well. Republicans are affected. You know, we're hearing some of the uh, some of the. Um, uh, administration officials or or some of the staff, you know, we heard some of the uh, the National Security Council officials saying that some of the staff are now picking up Uber jobs. But the the thing with Uber and taxis in Washington, they're not getting as much work because there are not as many federal workers. So it's kind of a right. catch, yeah, it's kind of a catch twenty two. But moving moving on to this this State of the Union issue, um, I see. Did, let me kind of ask you a question. Did yeah. Kay say that Trump should get should uh, be able to give the State of the Union? You know, she didn't. She didn't. I didn't get her on that. But I tell you yeah. this. I tell you this. <laughs> but no, she wants him to deliver. She wants him to. Right, right. She wants. She wants him to deliver a State of the Union. But at issue is the venue now. Where will he deliver right. the State of the Union? We right. know it will not be in the well of the house. But I'm going to. I'm going to say this. Just observing, and and I'm not into that 
political thing that everybody's talking about. Oh, it's this political back and forth. Yeah, it may be viewed as politics, but, you know, I work with Secret Service. They're not being paid. And D.C. Metropolitan Police are backing them up. I see it every day. Then after that, you know, you got U.S. Capitol Police that are paid. But there's not ju- it's not just about Capitol Police and Secret Service. There's a whole contingent of people who have to secure the nation's capital and the well of the house. You've got the seat of government power there. You've got the House Speaker, you got the you got well, you got the Senate, you got the House, you've got uh, the Supreme Court, you've got the cabinet right. officials, and there's always that one designate that's that's a, one person that's designated from the cabinet that's left out just for continuity of government in case something happens where all of the leaders are unfortunately, you know, just God forbid, killed. Right. That's so, right. Right. And, and so if they're all taken out. There has to be if, someone left over. Wasn't has, there a show called that designated survivor? The designated survivor. Yeah. The designated, well, I call it the alternate, you know, but it is the designated survivor. I am the sole right. survivor. Remember that survivor, the game survivor. <laughs> I think about that. Yeah. But no, but there has been that in place. And now you have the issue with secure the, the security force. You can't play with that is the president of the United States, whether you like him or not. That is the House Speaker who is third in command in case something happens to the Veep, you know, the vice president. So right. there is a seriousness here. There people might think it's politics and they and it does look like it's a back and forth, but there is a seriousness here. And, you know, I don't think people are looking at the vulnerability of this nation. And I'm bringing it up because it's real. You know, I heard from uh, right. I heard from uh, Congressman Emanuel Cleaver, who said we're at our most vulnerable next to 9-11 because of, you know, Secret Service, all, all these law enforcement officials, federal law agencies that are not being paid. You know, TSA. I mean, we can go down the list. I mean, you know. Right. Well, it actually goes it goes it's even bigger than just the State of the Union. Um, you know, in to, to, to defend the law enforcement professionals that are being forced to work. So the Secret Service, they because it is a special designated national security event, um, Secret Service does control the security umbrella of the State of the Union because of what you just said. You know, you have the, the president, vice president, the cabinet, and all of that. So Secret Service runs lead on that, and then Capitol Police and others back them up. But Secret Service, they're going to do their mission regardless. So it, technically, would the security be any, you know, less than normal? No. So I think maybe Nancy Pelosi misstepped a little bit on that. Mm -hmm. Even the Secret Service pushed back and said, no, we can handle it regardless of the situation because it would reflect badly on them. Mm -hmm. But it goes beyond just the the Secret Service and the State of the Union. The entire Department of Homeland Security is currently not funded. So you're talking the FBI. You're talking counterintelligence um, task, fo- task forces within our, our law enforcement agencies. It's already been reported that the FBI hasn't been able to pay informants. You have Department of Justice uh, investigations that are going on where they, can't, they cannot put together grand juries because the funding has run out. This, is, this has gone beyond just the one event. It is, a, it is affecting. It is true that we are vulnerable at this point. You've got 10% of TSA calling out. You have the Border Patrol is actually also not being paid, coincidentally. This is supposed to be about border security. If this is such an, an emergency, then why the hell are the people who are, who are responsible for protecting us every day at the border, why are they caught up in this? They're not being paid either. ICE isn't being paid. The immigration judges, they're not being paid. Like, this is 
it, it's such a it's, federal it's prosecutors really a are not being paid. Correct. That's correct. So it's really a BS excuse what the president is using um, to say that there's some kind of crisis going on that you need to hold the government hostage in order to solve it. No, it's a policy difference. And he's throwing a temper tantrum because the Congress is not passing the bills that he wants to fund what he wants the way he wants it. That's not how our government works. And Republicans are being hypocrites by by saying that this is the right thing to do when they had a heart attack, rightfully so, when Barack Obama decided to go ahead and issue DACA through executive order and do other things and circumvent Congress. So how come it wasn't okay for Obama, but it's okay for Trump to do this? That's pure political hypocrisy, and I'm sorry, it's not right. People's lives are hanging in the balance, and they should not be used as pawns. You want to have a political policy argument, you do it the right way, inside of Congress, in the committee rooms, in the meetings with with congressional leaders, and you cut those deals. You don't hold real American people and their livelihoods at stake over a policy uh, argument like this. Wrong. So, you know, we've heard from Democrats, but, you know, I've talked to you now and Michael Steele, who are kind of along the same line. But the question is really, you know, is it really worth it? to lay all on the line, to make us as vulnerable as we are. And there are Republicans who acknowledge it just for the southern border. It's one part of the immigration piece, but you're, it's all or nothing. You know, you got us laying bare it, yeah. for 2,000 miles that can be dealt with at another time or just work together, open the government and then deal with. I mean, we're laying bare. That's right. That's right. Listen, I understand the frustration. I worked uh, when I worked in Capitol Hill for seven years Border security and immigration reform were part of my portfolio. In addition to me, um, I was the communications director, but I also had a legislative portfolio, which is not normal, but that's okay, because it interested me, and um, and I was glad to take that issue on. And I can tell you that, I, I mean, I was there when the Secure Fence Act was passed in 2006, and that was to fund 700 miles of fencing. They didn't call it a wall. The problem is the the connotation behind and the symbolism behind Trump's wall. That's really what the, the biggest issue is here, because even Trump is backing off that language, because everyone knows it's not literally a concrete wall. The Border Patrol doesn't even want a concrete wall. They're the ones who talk about this steel flat called the bollard wall, because they need to be able to see what's going on on the other side. Donald Trump just used the, the simplistic um, campaign slogan to rally people around something that was symbolic. It was very us versus them. Let's keep those people out of here. And that attitude is something that Democrats are not comfortable with, nor should anyone be. I mean, Democrats aren't necessarily against border security. I mean, some may be a little lax than others, but the concept of us having sovereign borders, I don't think is something that Democrats will dispute. But they are disputing the fact that we don't want some kind of wall symbolizing the xenophobia that Donald Trump used to help him get elected. And I don't blame them for that. It's the way this issue is being, the way the issue is being um, portrayed by Trump that's causing this problem. It's, if he really wanted border security, and that's what it was really about, if there was really this emergency on the border where people are, you know, we have to do this and stop government in order to get it done, then why the hell didn't he do it last year? when he had 20 to $25 billion on the table that Democrats were willing to give Trump for this border security, fencing wall, whatever he wanted to call it, in exchange for a legal pathway to citizenship for dreamers. 
that was a good deal. But I don't believe that Donald Trump really wants to solve that problem. We do have issues at the border. We do have problems with some border security. We do have problems with the way our, our immigration system is set up. It's very broken. It need, there are things that need to be fixed. Is it an immediate crisis that we have to just grind everything to a halt to, to, to fix right now? No. No. Even if you had the $5 billion or the $20 billion, it takes years to build anything on the border. It and that's a good point. Overnight. If you if you get the money, it's not going to be built today or tomorrow. Exactly. You're absolutely which right. Is, that's right, which I wish the Democrats would be clearer on saying, what's the immediacy? You know, like we recognize that things need to be fixed, and we're happy to have that discussion. But what are we going to do? We're going to hold federal government employees hostage for the next three years while the wall is being built? Like, this is ridiculous. So, so Donald Trump doesn't really, I believe, he doesn't really want to solve this problem. He wants to keep that as a campaign issue, as a foil. So when he goes in, because he knows that immigration riles people up, and fear and anger is very motivating, unfortunately, and that's what got him elected. So as long as he has this issue still hanging out there and it's not solved, he can still point to it and rally people around it and point fingers at everybody else. But it's about winning. Now, you have real people's lives hanging in the balance. Before, you didn't have that that dynamic. But anyone who knows Donald Trump's history, he is a despicable person with no moral compass. This is how he did business. When he, I'm from New Jersey, so I remember Donald Trump in it. In and I just want people to know that. you're saying that and not me. That's <laughs> you, because yeah, you know, you know, I get in trouble all the time. <laughs> No, 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 it's not your job to say it. It's, but I can have that opinion. I'm a commentator, so I get to I get to give my comment and how I and how I look at things. But Donald Trump is a despicable person, and he's unscrupulous. He's been an unscrupulous businessman his entire life. And like I said, I'm from New Jersey. I remember when Donald Trump was running roughshod through Atlantic City. His reputation as a businessman was awful back then. We're talking 25 years ago. And he, there was an interesting article that came out in the New York Times, uh, Maggie Haberman is on the byline as well, talking about a spat that he had with Merv Griffin. Mm. Back in the day when he was trying to build a casino um, uh, down in Atlantic City, he went through this battle with Merv Griffin over the Taj Mahal, and he didn't care about what the consequences would be. All he cared was about winning. Even though his executives, his financial people said, you take this on, it's going to financially ruin you. He didn't care. It was about winning for him. And guess what? It ultimately led to his fourth bankruptcy. But yeah. he won in his eyes. Well, here we are. This, he's taking the same posture. It's win at all costs. Yeah. It doesn't matter what the. It doesn't matter the collateral damage. And that is really dangerous when you're the president of the United States, and it's not about you. The office is bigger than one individual. It's yeah. about the country. But he doesn't make decisions based on the country. He does it based on his own personal gratification or whatever. Um, and that, that is what we're dealing with. This is not how you govern. It's nothing but chaos. And that's how he's lived his whole life. So at the end of the day, this, this wall that was supposed to have a pretty door is really going to determine... <laughs> that Mexico was supposed to pay for. That Mexico was supposed to pay for. <laughs> this is really going to determine his presidency. He's staying on it because if he backs yeah. down, he looks weak. And his poll That's numbers right. have already dropped because he owned this wall. Chuck Schumer did something, you know, and, and said, That's right, that's right. I'm going to carry the mantle for the government shutdown for the wall. That's right. 
He owned it. He is now connected to it for life. This longest shutdown. And he even said it will go months and maybe even a year or years. People can't sustain and the federal government cannot sustain like that. And left to his no, own devices, left to his own devices, the president of the United States, the economy is going to go down. GDP, we have not increased GDP at all so far because of this government shutdown. What, and his numbers, his poll numbers are now at 34%. What do you believe mm-hmm. is going to happen? Um, you know, you talk to a lot of these people, a lot of the Republicans who are yeah. in this White House. What do you believe is going to happen? How long do you think they can afford to allow this to go? They're not going to be able to afford this too much longer. I mean, it, I think that Donald Trump, now that he's passed his threshold of being the longest government shutdown in history, we all know how he likes to have the, the biggest uh, the best, the greatest, the first historic, you know, even if it's a hurricane, he gets off on the idea of it being the biggest or the first. It's very strange. But um, now that he's passed that threshold and the polling, he is not winning the PR battle on this. The CBS poll that came out recently said that 71 percent of the American people blame Donald Trump and Republicans for the shutdown. So he even after giving that uh, Oval Office address, even after coming out and, and offering that half-hearted um, compromise uh, last weekend to the Democrats, which he knew was a non-starter, nothing is moving the needle. Mm. Now, the Republicans are not, especially in the Senate, because that, that's really where Mitch McConnell has been absent up until recently from this entire debate. But Republicans in the Senate, especially those Republicans that are running for re-election, the Susan Collins of the world, um, they're up for re-election in 2020. Their constituents back home are not going to stay silent on this, and they're going to start putting pressure on the on those senators. And they are everyone who knows in politics 101 that an elected official's number one priority is getting re-elected. They are single seekers of re-election. So as those farmers in Iowa who are not getting their subsidies because the Department of Agriculture is shut down, and they're also losing money because of these ridiculous tariffs that the president has put on, a lot of the soybean farmers are getting half of what they got before for their soybeans because of this trade war with China. These are real people that depend on these things that are hurting. That's not sustainable. So Trump is going to have to either figure out a way to make it look like, or Mitch McConnell can figure out a way to make it look like Trump is getting a political win so they can move forward. And you're starting to see a little bit of movement with that coming from other senators saying, look, we need to do something. Even Lindsey Graham was like trying to put together uh, a, a temporary, yes, to come up with something, right? Yeah. Some kind of something, because they know the politicians who know who have been here, who are experienced, they understand the long-term damage this can do. Donald Trump has no idea because he lives in his own little world, and it's not, you know, it's a very dysfunctional one. Yeah. So, I mean, this could go on for a couple of more weeks, but I pray to God that nothing tragic happens in the meantime as a result. Um, perhaps TSA has a mass walkout and the airports come to don't a halt. Don't say that. I don't know. Don't say that. I mean, I'm not saying, not, not, not. A I know, not line, wishing it, but it's just, yeah, I don't even want to think about yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, something is going to have to take a jolt of something because Donald Trump is so, so vindictive. Um, it, it, it takes something extraordinary to move him. Yeah. Or it yeah. takes Republicans, you know, it takes Republicans like Mitch McConnell to get enough votes to find a compromise with Democrats to override a veto, because you'll get that in the House. But if the Senate can get enough votes to override a veto, if the president is still dug in, 
then that's what they need to do in order to open this government right back up. Yeah. Well, Tara, what I will say to you, um, I pray like you, but you know, we are a reactionary uh, uh, community of people here in this country. If something happens, that's when we, we react. And I'm wondering when people are going to react. You know, um, activism is 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 brought on by a dis-ease in the spirit, a dis-ease in the pocket. And I mm-hmm. feel it bubbling. I'm waiting for it to come because I'm going to report it on it. So, but... um. Tara, well, I, you saw the protests yeah. already in the Senate building. You had federal workers yeah. there with, with paper plates saying, you know, yeah. I need to feed my family or, you know, yeah. we'll work for food or whatever they said. You start to see more of that. You know, it's just like with, with you know, Martin Luther King Day was over was a couple of days ago. And people need to be reminded what finally got people to move on voting rights. It's yes. when they saw the images of people mm-hmm. being beaten and bloodied on the Edmund Pettus Bridge. And killed. And then America people woke killed. Up White people killed. killed. That's killed. right. That's yes. right. That's right. Yes. And then people woke up and went, oh, well, wait a minute. Maybe we need to pay attention. Yep. I think the more you see people mobilizing and the more that people like you report on this and the American people recognize what's happening, then I think you'll see more righteous anger and, and, and people will start to move. But you know, we have to keep getting it out there and keep reminding folks that, look, this is going on, and this is not good, and people are suffering. Not, they really are. Tara, I wish you well in your home, as you are affected by the government shutdown, along with so many other people, not just government employees, but those who have businesses around. Contractors. Contractors. Yes, yes. There's so many people yes. impacted. That, that 800,000 is a false number. It's so many more people that are impacted by this. And you never know, we might even see layoffs in other companies because people are not getting the money. The economy is not moving the way it used to. But with that, That's Tara, right. Tara, I, Tara Setmayor, I thank you so much for your time and joining me uh, with On the Record with April Ryan. You are awesome. Oh, thank you, April. Keep doing what you do, and uh, I will reciprocate and have you on my podcast. I want to come on. And get you on. Yes, let's do it. We'll make it happen. Girl talk. (laughs) All right, Tara, thank you. Thank you once again for joining me. Thank you. Thank you once again for joining me with April Ryan and On The Record. Don't forget to subscribe to On The Record on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or any other podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review. On The Record, a product of American Urban Radio Network works.